in praying apostolic prayers. Today we are going to conclude this series with praying for hope to abound. Another prayer written or spoken by the Apostle Paul as recorded in the book of Romans in chapter 15 and verse 13. You know, this prayer is so relevant to the day and age in which we live. We're living in a time of so much hopelessness. But I'm so thankful that in God and in his word, there is hope. So we want to turn to the word of God this morning as we read this prayer of Paul. And I want us to grab onto something that as we read this prayer, from the depth of our spirit, I want us to pray this prayer and acknowledge that this is the will of God for each and every believer. It's the will of God for your life. It's the will of God for my life. So let's read it together. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a prayer like that, it begs the question, does that prayer reflect my life? Does that prayer identify how I'm living and walking as a Christian. Can I honestly say this morning that my life is filled with all joy, it's filled with all peace in believing, and do I abound in hope? Now, I know that very, very often we're very lenient with ourselves. So let's ask another question. The other question is, do others see my life as a life that is overflowing in joy and in peace? One that is abounding in hope? That's a challenging question. My soul has been challenged. As I looked into the mirror of God's word, I've asked the Lord to help me come into alignment with the word of God. Let's face it this morning, Christian friends. We are living in a time and an age where we are not exempt from trial and tribulation. It's a tough life. And as Christians, if you think that somehow because you've gotten saved that you're not going to ever have a problem, that nothing in life is ever going to affect you, that COVID can't touch you, I know a lot of saintly, wonderful, godly, praying Christians that have been touched by COVID. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But I'm so glad to know that in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the tests, in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life, we can still abound in hope. We don't need to be like the rest of the world that feels hopeless, that feels that they are in despair. Because if we don't have hope in God, then what happens? We succumb like the world succumbs to de despair, 
to depression, and ultimately, we lose our hope. And when hope is lost, that is a sad day in our lives. Because when hope is lost, life really has no more meaning. We believe the lie of the devil that it will never get any better. We've kind of surrendered to what is. And here I am depressed. Well, I guess I'm going to stay depressed. I'm going to stay sick. I'm going to stay discouraged for the rest of my life. When all hope is gone, all optimism for a better day is abandoned. And there's this downward spiral into a dark, deep depression. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in that dark place called depression. And I hope we recognize this morning that this epidemic of depression is more deadly than COVID. Statistically, did you know that 10% of all adults in America suffer from depression? And I'm not talking about having a bad day. All of us have a bad day every now and then. All of us, every once in a while, we fall into the doldrums. Hopefully, we snap out of it and we recognize that if God be for me, who could be against me? So I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. But this 10% of all, one out of 10 people that you see or that even perhaps are in this church this morning have been clinically diagnosed as having depression. And in large measure, this depression is the result of what? Feeling hopeless. The Bible tells us that hopelessness makes the heart sick. Do we realize this is a spiritual malady that we need to address? Because if we don't address it, you know, you can have a healthy body, but if you have a sick soul, you can't enjoy life. You can't be blessed. So hopelessness brings us to despair. This sick heart then becomes a deadly disease and the despair in many people who become clinically depressed, they actually start having suicidal thoughts and 15% of them will actually commit suicide. Sadly, with COVID, those numbers have even increased. Because between the lockdowns and being masked and being sequestered and not having fellowship and connection with others, it has brought people into a deep depression. So this prayer is so very relevant to the time and day in which we're living. Now we've all heard the expression, have we not? Where there's hope, there's life. And that uh, motto, slogan, whatever you want to call it, is true if there is legitimate hope. You're saying, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let me illustrate. We've been told that during World War II, when there were those countless thousands of Jews who found themselves in concentration camps, those who hoped the most were those who survived the least. I don't know, when I read that, that really surprised me. But then as I continued to read, I understood. 
because their hoping was mere wishful thinking, which is tantamount to saying, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon because our family is having a picnic. Now that's just wishful thinking. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is hoping in that which is meaningful and those who have studied, those who survived the concentration camps survived because in their hope they were searching for meaning. So what is biblical hope? It is not wishful thinking, but it is a confident certainty and an expectation for good. That's what we're supposed to have as Christians. I know the circumstances may look bleak, but the reality is as believers who have hope in God, we can have this confident certainty and expectation. When I came across this acronym as I was preparing this message, and I just love it. What is hope? Hope is having only positive expectations. Not wishful thinking, but positive expectations. It's not to help us navigate through the hopeless situations that we experience in life. We know we're only helped through the word of God. So let's look more closely at this text that we've read this morning. And we first of all acknowledge and recognize the source of this hope that is to possess our lives is God. That's that stands to reason. Outside of God, there is no hope. You could be sick and you could have the best doctors in the world, but if they tell you there is no cure for that sickness, then what happens? You have no hope. But if you know God and you know his name is Jehovah Rapha, then you know there is hope. And I can have a confident expectation of positive things that are going to change and transpire in my life. God is the source. He's the God of Genesis 1-1, where we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is this God? He is the God who in the beginning said, let there be and in those words, the entire universe and all of the galaxies were created. Do, you, do, you, do we really know who this God is? See, we can, we can have hope this morning. And I pray that by the power of the Spirit, God would open the eyes of our heart that we would understand this God with whom we have to do. He is this God who is beyond all of our comprehension in his greatness, in his majesty, in his might, in his glory, and in his power. He spoke these worlds into existence and now all things are upheld by the word of his power. Can you imagine if God didn't exist? The, the, the cacophony and the, the, the tragedy that would happen as planets are banging into each other. He is sustaining everything that exists by the word of his power. So in the face of hopeless situations, I can still have hope and know that what God has said in his word, I will experience the fulfillment of it. It's a present hope. And that present hope is an anchor for our souls, that there is some future fulfillment. 
I'm so thankful for the word of God today that I don't need to listen to the news for hope. <laughs> the news is never going to give you hope. It's going to give you the antithesis of hope. You're going to feel hopeless after you listen to it. How could it get? I, I, I just thought yesterday was the worst it could ever get. And then I turned the news on today. Now it's even worse. And every day it gets worse. Jesus said in the end time, that's exactly what is going to happen. But we have hope in God. Because he said, when these things begin to come to pass, look up. Because your redemption draws nigh. There's a better day coming. There's a glory that is going to be revealed in us who are persevering and steadfast and enduring to the end. I'm so thankful that we can have hope in God. That's what the psalmist said. And now, Lord, for what do I hope? My hope is in you. Can we say that this morning? God, my hope is in you. Let me hear you again. God, my hope is in you. I'm reminded of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, this was a prophet who experienced some terrible devastation. As he saw the Babylonians uh, under that despot uh, Nebuchadnezzar come in and just plunder the city, the precious city of Jerusalem. And if you read in Lamentations, which is the weeping of the prophet, there is such graphic language that portrays the most dismal, the most hopeless picture you could ever, ever imagine. I was reading it and I was almost shuddering. Jeremiah, are you actually saying these things to God? And I just want to point out four verses to you, beginning in verse 18 in chapter 3, where he says, all hope is gone. It was hopeless. My strength has turned to water. Then in verse 21, yet, see, I, I didn't read all the previous verses where he painted the darkest and most gloomy picture. But if you want to take the time and read that, read it, but know that this is the conclusion of all of that hopelessness. Yet there is one ray of hope. Why? His compassions never fail. Verse 24, my soul claims the Lord as my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. There, let me hear you say it, therefore I will hope in him. And then in verse 26, it is both good to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, Jeremiah was able to cling to the hope despite the horrific circumstances because he knew that the mercies and the grace of God is infinite and his mercies are new every morning. And that's why today we could sing that old hymn with great confidence. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. For on Christ, not on a religion, not on a ritual, not on what my friends tell me, not on what I, I go to church sometime. and No, it's not in a church building. It's not going through a Sunday morning service. It's on Christ, the solid rock. I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So let's look a little deeper into this verse. How does this abundant hope come to us? It comes 
when we are filled with all joy and peace. Joy and peace and all joy and peace in a world like we're living in today. But we need to understand this morning that Paul was a realist. He was living in awful times. And he recognized that joy and peace doesn't deny the reality of sorrow and grief. They happen at the same time, believe it or not. It's one of the paradoxes of our Christian life that in spite of the sorrow we feel, we can also experience the joy of the Lord. Do you remember the Apostle Paul said that he was experiencing just overwhelming sorrow and grief because of the great number of Jews who were rejecting Christ. Yet at the same time, he experienced being full of joy. Did you know the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is to rejoice always? Now, in contrast to that, the shortest verse in the English Bible is Jesus wept. Two opposites, right? But there is no contradiction here because Paul himself said as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So yes, we do have sorrow in life, but in the midst of that sorrow, God's will, God's plan, God's purpose, God's provision is that we are always rejoicing. And I want us to know that this joy and peace are not circumstantial. We say there are times in our lives where, oh, we have joy and peace because everything's just hunky-dory. In fact, things are going better than we ever expected or anticipated. This is not the result of natural circumstances that make you feel happy. Oh, I just got a raise, so I'm really, really happy. Or something else took place and you just feel peace in your heart because one of your friends gave you a big bear hug. Oh, that made me feel good. But 10 minutes later, that bear hug wore off and you're down in the doldrums again. No, this joy and peace is something that fills our lives and it is not joy is not laughter it's not see some people think well if you have the joy of the lord you're always going to go around hilarious and laughing that's not true and sometimes if we're a little somber people say aren't you happy but we know what's going on inside of our hearts we know that we have the peace of god we know that we have the joy of god and what is this joy? It is an inner delight in knowing who God is, delighting in his promises, knowing that God is not a man that he should lie, knowing that God is true to his word, knowing that God is faithful to me. We sang this morning how good the Lord has been to us. His goodness has been running after us. Did you know that's literally how that psalm is translated? Goodness and mercy literally is chasing you down the street. Hallelujah. Goodness and mercy is chasing after us. 
And I loved what Stephen said about the father who is running after his son, not to castigate him, not to shame him, not to reproach him. How dare you shame me and do what you did to me? But to wrap his arms around him and to bring out the fatted calf and the best robe and throw a party because my son who is lost is now found. Paul certainly knew what joy was all about because he spoke of it 21 times in his letters more than any other New Testament writer. But yet on the other hand, when you study the life of the Apostle Paul, what, what man in the scriptures suffered more persecution, endured more hardship than the Apostle Paul? And there he was in a Philippian jail getting these reports about these Christians who are demeaning him, who are criticizing him. And I want you to know as a pastor, I understand that nothing hurts more when those that you've poured your life in turn around and put a knife in your back. That's more painful than any persecution the world could ever dole out. Let them, let them judge me. Let them persecute me because I'm a Christian. I rejoice that I'm counted worthy to be named by the name of Christ. But when believers, now think about the Apostle Paul, how he poured his life into these Christians how he brought them into the family of God by being faithful to preach the gospel. And while he's in this prison, he's hearing these reports about how they feel about him. I, I know the feeling, and I, I have to admit, I am not as good as the Apostle Paul. Because sometimes that gets me down in the doldrums. How could I be so misunderstood? How could they think that? How could they feel that way about me? But Paul, who was filled with all joy and peace, said, rejoicing always. And again, I say, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. This was the message to the believers at Philippi. You need to rejoice in the Lord regardless of your circumstances. Why? Because he had the confidence and the assurance of Romans 8 and 28. All things are working together for good. You know, there's baking soda in a cake. Do you ever taste baking soda? That is about the most nasty thing you ever want to taste. But when you put it together in a cake, it comes out tasting delicious. And that's what the Lord is doing in our lives. There are some nasty tasting things that come into our experience but they're working together. The Lord is baking this beautiful cake. I prefer the metaphor that he's, he's designing this glorious canvas and tapestry of color and beauty. And we're looking only at the backside where we see the black threads. But if you turn it over, you're going to see the glory that is to be revealed in us. Notice what Paul said here now. How did he pray? that you may be filled. He wasn't interested in them getting just a little taste, a little bit of joy and peace trickling into their lives. But he's praying that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You know what this conveys to me? Not my inability to receive it, because sometimes, you know, if we'll, we'll be honest, we're not able to receive. You know why we're not able to receive it? Because we'd rather wallow in the fear and in the doubt and in the unbelief. So two things can't occupy the same place. 
You can't have God and his hope and peace occupying your heart while you're filled with fear and doubt and anxiety. Get rid of that. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you of that and allow the, the peace and the joy of God to fill your heart. But it doesn't speak so much about our capacity. It speaks about the nature of God. God not only can do this for us, he not only has the ability to do this for us, but he has the deep desire and longing to do this for us. May the God of hope fill you with all hope and peace. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life, zoe, full, complete, abundant life, and have it more abundantly. Some people are on life support as, as believers. They're barely making it. They're barely catching their next breath. That's not God's will for us. God's will for us is that we abound in hope. Did not Jesus say that there would be rivers of living water? Not just a few mercy drops, as we would sing showers of blessings. Not even a fountain, but rivers, flowing, gushing rivers. And Jesus himself is that artesian well that is to be springing up in our souls, that waterfall of joy and peace. As believers, we should never settle for anything else but fullness, because God wants us to be filled full with himself. And he's a God of joy, and he's a God of peace. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Is it up there? That your joy might be full. That's what God wants us to have, filled, full, joy, peace. Now, when God fills us with joy and peace, then we're able to bound in hope. Because you don't have joy and you don't have peace in your heart, how can you have hope? The circumstances are tearing you away. The circumstances are making you feel miserable. The circumstances are defeating and discouraging you. But when God fills you with joy and peace then you can abound in hope. You know what abound means? It means to overflow. And the picture that is presented to us is really the picture of Niagara Falls. When God says abound, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this overflow, this gushing overflow out of our lives flowing onto others, causing them to see that person who should feel hopeless right now has this overflow, an abounding joy and peace and hope in God, an excess supply, more than enough, more than we could ever need. You know, when God says in his word that my grace is sufficient for you, that doesn't mean just about enough. It means more than enough, much more than enough, abounding grace. 
I don't know about you. I, I, I just want to open my heart as we did in worship this morning to open up our heart and to bask in the presence of God and say, God, just, just pour it on me. Pour it in me. Fill me. Keep filling me more, Lord, more. And you know the irony and uh, the, the, the thing that just is amazing that when you get filled, you think you'd be satisfied, but it makes you hungry for more. And that's what God wants. He wants to give us more and more and more of himself. Well, we all want this kind of joy and peace. But how do we get these? We get these, this, this verse uh, in Romans 15 teaches us, as we come into a divine cooperation and into a partnership with God. See, God says, when you do your part, draw near to God, then I will do my part and I will draw near to you. So what is our part? Our part, Paul says in this verse, is to keep believing in God and in his word. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What? In believing. See, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're going to lay aside your faith and your trust in God and just say, God, when you show up, then I'll start trusting you. God says, no, you trust me in the dark and I'll prove to you that I'm a faithful God that shows up in the dark. Bring the sacrifice of praise when you don't feel like praising me. And that is when I am most satisfied and most pleased with your praise. Maybe some of you were sitting in church this morning and saying, well, I'm just not into it. I, I just don't feel like I, I, I got up and I didn't sleep enough and I'm tired and the, my arthritis is kicking up and that's the best time to praise God. Because when you do it then, God says this is an acceptable sacrifice and it's far more pleasing to God when we do it then than when he's lavished us with gifts and we say, yippity yah yo thank you God, yay God, you're so good, I'm so grateful, I, I praise you. It's good to praise, you better praise God then. So when confronted by the difficult circumstances of life, we always have a choice. The choice is to fear and doubt. And if we do, then we succumb to hopelessness and depression. But it's so important that we fix our gaze on Jesus and say, Lord, you're my rock. You're my fortress. In you, I put my trust. How do we do this? We need to stay in the word. Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Let it not depart from your mouth, but keep mulling it over and over and over again. Because when you do this, the word of God says, you will make your way prosperous and you will be a blessed man and woman. You know, when we, when we feel that those circumstances, sometimes they come suddenly, where did this come from? This just hit me blindsided. I wasn't expecting this. You know what you need to do? Don't fall into despair. Start talking to yourself. I know some people say, well, you're crazy. No, you're not crazy. You're doing what God's word says. You're talking to God and telling God. You're declaring your faith and your trust in God. This is what the psalmist did over and over again. Psalm 42 and verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? What is going on? Hope in God's soul. For I shall again praise him. He's the help of my countenance. 
I know I look a little gloom, but when I look to him, he's the help of my countenance. He turns that frown into a smile, and I know that God is for me, and God is with me. Psalm 43 and verse 5, why are you in despair of my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So the human means, our part in growing in abundant hope is to keep believing in God. But then God says, I will do my part. And you know what his part is? His part is providing the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand why Jesus said to the disciples, before you go and preach the gospel, Go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father because he knew that if they would try to do it in their own strength, they would fall flat on their faces. And so often as Christians, we try and we strive and we struggle in our own strength, in the uh, energies that we have, and it just leads us to futility. It leads us to frustration. It leads us to emptiness, and it leads us to fruitlessness, because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do we need this morning? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we acknowledge we need the power of the Holy Spirit? I can't live a life that is pleasing to God. I can't live a life that is victorious. I can't live a life that is powerful. I can't have abounding joy and peace and hope abounding without the Holy Spirit imparting it to me. But God is so desirous of bringing it to us if we're willing to open our hearts and show him how hungry we are for him to come in. I want to close with a little story about Adoniram Judson. Have any of you ever heard of this great man of God? He was the first American missionary to go overseas. And he served the Lord in Burma for 40 long years, never coming back to the States. He stayed in Burma. He translated the whole Bible into the Burmese language after it took him three years to learn the language. And he's hailed as the first American to ever go overseas to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he suffered persecution for doing that. And once he was thrown into a horrible, filthy, dirty prison where rats were crawling all around. He was deprived in every way. And a friend sent him this letter that said, Judson, how's the outlook? And do you know what his response was? He said, the outlook is as bright as the promises of God. The outlook is as bright as the promises of God. I don't, I don't know what your situation is this morning. I doubt it could be half as bad as what Brother Judson's was. But where was his hope? It was fixed in God. And when our hope is fixed in God, our outlook could be bright because God is filling our hearts with his joy and his peace. So as we close our service this morning, I want us to make that declaration as Chris uh, comes back to the platform. And I don't know if Stephen's coming back. I think he was just called out. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand.
My hope, let's think about where's your hope today? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest dream, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand together as we sing.